Okay, we've been looking at, um, I guess, what, what does God want for us in terms of relationship um, as a church and, and how did the church originally grow? And I just wanted to look this morning at worship a little bit. So we'll just um, go and have a look at um, that Acts passage again. So in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 onwards, And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all of the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property. Excuse me, lost my bookmark there. Russell, might have to get you out to read. <laughs> uh, I started at 42, so... Is that one on there? So from verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who, as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Yep, beautiful. All right, so as, as we can see, part of what the, the relationship with the church was that they worshipped together. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about that this morning in terms of what does that look like? Why do we worship together anyway? What's the whole point of that? Um, and how we can actually come into a presence of God that we can't get by ourselves without doing that together. The point of, the, of it is all this, that we want God to just grow his kingdom on the earth and we want to be part of that. So as we keep looking through this passage in Acts about how the church grew, it said that the Lord added to them daily, right? So we understand it's the work of the Holy Spirit in people's hearts, saving people. But there were certain things that they did and they did really well and they did with all their heart at that time. And one of those things was worship, as you see there. It says, and they worship together. And what is the whole point of that? So we're going to be looking um, at a story in Second Samuel about, uh, which is a book in the Old Testament. And, and it's about King David trying to move the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and what happened there and, and how his expression of worship was despised by his wife. Okay, so we have to understand this firstly. Worship is based on God's worth. It's all about him. God is so worthy of our worship. It is, it is not something that we're doing to someone or something that's unworthy. And the truth is that everyone worships something. Everybody. No matter who you are, there will be something in your life that you elevate 
and you love. It could be um, any number of things. It could even be it could be relationships, sport, money, education, um, being well loved, all those sorts of things. The popularity, something that you love and idolize in your life. You take it and you elevate it above everything else. So. You know, I've heard some football commentators, for example, saying football is what life's all about. Really? Is that it? Well, it is to them because it's become so full in their heart that that that's what it is all about. It's all about that. But we as Christians are worshipping the God who made everything, including us, and he is worthy of our praise. I remember a while ago we did a, a message on God above the line in our life. And how he is meant to be above everything else. He's in all, but he's also above all. So we can have God in every area of our life, but he's also got to be above everything in our life. What are our decisions based on? Are we, are we basing our decisions on the, the degree of priority we give to God? How high is he in our life? Because the higher we lift him, the higher he lifts up us. He says, you exalt me, I'll exalt you. you and, and it's just the way it is with God. We as human beings were created to worship God. That is part of who we are. And what we don't want to be is people that settle for that theological knowledge, but we want to be able to experience the revelation of who God is. And part of that is by that encounter that we have with God. What is it about worship that God loves to dwell in? Well, it's just not because he needs the worship. We understand that, don't we? God is really happy with himself. God is actually pretty confident that he's God. And he's pretty confident that he's good. In fact, he says it himself. He is. And it's not as though he's saying, you need to worship me for my sake. He already knows he's good. And he said, what were the words? Even if you didn't worship me, if I want stones, I'll turn you into people, you can worship me. I could get... The, the hills, the valleys, they worship me. The angels in heaven worship. It's, there's no lack of confidence with God. He knows he's good. And he is. <laughs> he really does. And so, because we are created to worship and God is really in everything, Let's think about this, the presence of God when it comes on a congregation because of how they interact with one another. In Colossians 1, in Colossians 1 it talks about, in him all things consist. So in, in reality, everything is held together by God to start with. So even if I'm not a Christian, if I haven't ever accepted Christ into my life, I'm still held together because of him. So we could say, yes, God is present in our life in some way. When we're born again and we, we, we have faith in Christ, it's him coming in and indwelling our heart by the Holy Spirit. So we believed on that forgiveness and the Holy Spirit, it says, takes up residence in us. And, and that's a sign that God is sealing us for him. We belong to him, the Holy Spirit coming in. So we know God is present there, right? And then it says that where there's two or three gathered, at the smallest scale of congregation you could say of people getting together where there's two or three where's God in the midst he's there with them so why do we need to get together and worship if we know God is already there what is it about God's presence that seems to be stirred up 
by a people that just love him and love to worship him. Well, I don't fully understand that because he is already there, but there's another level that we can go to as we enter into worship, especially as a congregation, that will allow his presence to fall. There's a story in the Old Testament about how the praise was going up, the presence of God came so thickly that the priests couldn't even stand up. God's presence came down, so it was stirred by the, the worship, the hearts of the people linking into God. And what level can we go to here? I don't know. But I'm sure it's more than what we have right now. And when we die, when we get to heaven, when we're with him, we will fully understand the power of what that is. But as people here on earth, all we can do is aspire to get to some higher level, isn't it? Is there some place that we can go to as a congregation as we gather together that allows God's presence in? I believe there is. And he is here and he's asking for us to respond to him as people. When we gather together, there's something special about it. And he's saying, come into this deeper level of intimacy with me. As Christians, as brothers and sisters, as you become intimate with me, as you come to know my heart, you will get my heart for other people. And that is where that love is really shared abroad because the Holy Spirit is really rising up. We're we're coming to that place where we are just so in love and focused on Him and it is good to desire His presence. Sometimes we don't think it is. We think, well, no, that's just selfish to, to desire more of God. Not at all. Not at all. When you have a heavenly Father loving to pour out his blessing upon you, he wants you to desire that thing. And the story we're going to look at is in 2 Samuel chapter 6, which is where the ark was moved. And I'll just summarize it. You can go through. There's some interesting things that happen in it. Very interesting, really. But this is basically the summary of it. David wanted to move the ark back to Jerusalem. Why? Because he saw where the ark was, there was a presence, there was a blessing that was coming out. And in actual fact, he was probably moved with a bit of a jealousy. I want that presence of God. I want that presence to be here in Jerusalem with us. So what they did was they they went and got the ark from the town where it was and they put it on top of a, a cart with ox pulling it And they started to move it towards Jerusalem. Well, as it happened, on that journey, the ox that was pulling the cart stumbled. The the cart started to fall off and um, someone decided they were going to touch it, Uzziah. And he died. God was angry that he touched it and he died. Now, that's pretty horrible to us. Well, David got angry at God and he said, well, that's it, I'm taking it back. But, Then they decided they were going to move it again because when the ark went back and was in another man's house, he noticed again the blessing of God was on that house and he saw that there's something about God dwelling in that place that commanded a blessing and he was saying, that's what I want. And do we desire that? How is it that we desire that as a a congregation? Now we could say that's really unfair what happened. But when we go back to what the Word said, God gave really specific instructions of how to move the ark. He said, this is how it should be done. In fact, the Philistines, the enemy of Israel, brought the ark back on a cart. 
And what David had done is he'd done exactly the same as they, they had done. He put it on the ark. But he never sought God to what the proper way of doing it was. So anyway, he found it out and what they did, the, the ark, the presence of God was always meant to be on man's shoulders, not on a thing. And that is exactly what God wants to do with this church. The presence of God is for man. It's to meant to be resting on us as children of God, the presence that we carry with us wherever we are, not only in worship, but when we're walking around the street, when we're at work, when we're at play, whatever it is, that that presence is resting on the shoulders of those who belong to him. It's not so much the place, but it's the people. God just loves to dwell with his people. That's what he really desires to do. And so, anyway, they started carrying this thing back. What they did was they had worshippers in front of it, and David was one of the chief worshippers. I think they took it every, I think every six steps they had to stop. The music played and they danced and, and praised God. Well, David was leading this procession and he was just so filled with zeal for, for what God was doing and it said he stripped down to a linen, a linen cloth sort of thing which wasn't really, you know, fit for a king. But he was dancing with all his heart before the ark of the Lord, celebrating what God had done. As it so happened, his wife, Michael, was up in um, the, the, the palace and she's looking out the window and she saw her husband there dancing before God and she despised what he was doing. She was very embarrassed and she was very upset that this king had lowered himself to this standard where, where he wasn't dressed like a king but he was going crazy before God in celebration. And you know what? It is political spirits and religious spirits that will despise worship. They would say it's something that should be measured, it's something that should be controlled and it's something that should be reasonable because we don't want to get into that place where we are just out of control for God. But that is not what God is asking of us. You see, the Bible says, shout for joy. All you people, shout for joy. All you people, it didn't say, shout for joy, you extroverts. Shout for joy, those who want to put on a display, but you other ones, you be quiet and, and just keep calm. Make sure you don't get too excited about me. But what happened was Michael was looking out and she despised this extravagant display of worship before God. Why are we talking about this? It'll all become very clear, I hope. <laughs> but you see, we were designed to worship God. It is something of our DNA and people here might say, well, that's just not me, that's not our character. No, you're believing a lie. That is not who God created you to be. He made you to reflect the glory of God. He made you to be a person who can, can be happy and joyful in his presence. That is who you are. It is a lie to say that I can't praise God extravagantly. I can't get into his presence. Of course that's what the enemy would love you to believe. Because when the presence of God rests on a place through the people, it's just amazing what happens. Have you ever been in that place I have where 
Worship was just so amazing. Someone got healed. Where worship was so amazing, the presence of God came that, that those who weren't believers started to weep, even though they didn't know why. They didn't believe in God. They, they were just there, but the presence came. Tell you what, it's a powerful place in church. If we can be in that place when we get together as part of that relationship, just imagine. Can you just imagine? Let your mind go for a minute. What if? What if we were seeking God's presence and it's not, not for ourselves as in, you know, just so we can get something, but because he is so amazing. What if his presence started to come and change people's lives? What if depression left some person sitting over there? Because the presence of God came in worship. It's part of what we're meant to be doing as, as people of God in that place of worship. So anyway... As every good wife does, she met David at the door and gave him a scolding for what he's doing. <laughs> what are you doing? You're embarrassing me. And David said, what are you talking about? Oh, I was dancing with my heart before God. Dancing with all my heart before God. This was not a display for you. It wasn't a display for anyone else. It was to God, and that is one of the big things that we need to understand. It's always for him. True worship is not about us putting on a display and showing how amazing we are, but it's about us giving everything that we are to him. And a very interesting thing happens towards the end. I'll just read the end of that chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting from verse 21. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. Have you ever been humiliated in your own eyes where you've done something you're like, I'm, I'm embarrassed myself. <laughs> he said, I'm willing to go to that point. I'm willing to go to the point where I look stupid even to myself. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I'm distinguished because what she was saying was the servants will think you're crazy. He said, no, they won't. They're going to see as God moves and God's presence comes what God can do. The last verse is very interesting because this is why it's important as a church that we enter into this place of worship. Okay, really important. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. Now, was it because she was made barren or was it because there was no intimacy from that point on? I'm not sure. But what this is showing us is that when we despise worship, when we despise those extravagant displays, when we have a heart that says, no, we need to be controlled, that a barrenness will come to our life and it will come to the church as well. A church that doesn't worship will not produce children. That's what it's saying. A church that doesn't let itself go in that place of worship, their hearts so fully linked with God will remain barren. And we don't want to be like that, do we? Because it's part of what that Acts chapter 2 said. They worship together and the Lord added to them daily. Because why? Because he knew that they were for him. Of course he's going to add people to that church. Isn't he? I mean, if I was God and I could choose between a church that loved him and worshipped him, that, 
that was in the Word and the other things in Acts chapter 2 and other church that was stayed political, religious, without love. Tell you what, where I'd be sending people, you go there. They'll look after you. We want to be that church, don't we? Don't we want to be the church that God looks at and says, gee, those guys, I can trust them. I can trust them if there's a new convert, they're going to grow them and love them, disciple them, teach them how to worship, lead them in the word, teach them about giving, all the things that God's asking us to do. I want my kid to go to that school, right? (laughs) That's where I want my kid. And so worship is part of that and, and there's Isaiah chapter 54, which we won't go to as well. It's the opposite to that. It's almost the antidote, if you want to read that. And what it talks about is shout for joy those who are barren. Shout for joy if you're barren, because guess what? When you do that, if you read through that psalm, what happens is the barren has more children than those that are already having children. And somehow there's this link between the way we worship God and the fruitfulness of the womb, so to speak. And one of the things we we do with worship is actually magnify God. What does that mean? God's already here, right? God's here because he's in every single one of us. Did any of you ever have a magnifying glass when you were younger and... You wanted to start a fire? <laughs> Some people have got glasses that can do that. It's... The sun's there, right? What does a magnifying glass do? It concentrates what's already there and gives it a focus. And it begins to burn whatever's there. See, God's already great. God's already good. And he already knows it. And he's shining. He is the sun, really, isn't he? All light, everything comes from him. And what worship does to us is in the barren areas of our life, the places that are hard, the the places that things just aren't right. Is allow him to become manifest in that place where his presence can begin to do something. You getting that? God's big, he's good, but when we begin to praise him, this gives us focus. It's like his, it's the power of the sun magnified through that burns the bugs, I mean the grass. <laughs> and starts a fire in us. So, in summing up, we're designed to represent him and worship him. This is who we are. It's not foreign, it's not crazy. Allow yourself to shout out, maybe even embarrass yourself. Now, some of us will be embarrassed by this. Others will be embarrassed by something else much more extravagant than that. (laughs) But where are you pushing yourself in terms of worship? Where is the surrender that you feel uncomfortable with? Why is it that you feel that way? Good questions to ask ask yourself. So we want to just magnify God in this place and this is part of who we are together 
there is something more powerful. We should be seeking his presence. That's not wrong. You know how some people say, well, we can't seek it, he just has to come. Rubbish. You know what does it say in the Bible that from the beginning of time, heaven suffers violence, the violent take it by force. There's something about a heart that is just pursuing God that he loves. He said about David that, didn't he? This is a man after my own heart, faulty, yes, very faulty, probably. I mean, we're talking about a man who committed adultery, then murdered the husband of that woman. This man got it wrong a lot. But God said there's something about David that can give you a picture of the people that I'm after. A man who said, I see the presence of God in that house because of where God is in the ark. Now, we know he's not contained to that, right? Because that temple curtain was ripped into when Jesus died and it opened up access for us into that place, okay? But he saw that, he said, that's where God's presence is. I need that and I'm going to get it. Whatever it takes, we're going to end up with this presence in Jerusalem. And what he understood was his presence was so worth it that he would dance to the point of embarrassment. Not for himself, because he did it to God. But he understood that and he said, yes, I desire that presence. And God loves us to desire his presence. Why? Because God loves us. And God just wants to move amongst us in amazing ways to release us from all sorts of heaviness, Oh my gosh, praise is amazing. Worship is amazing. If you get it for real in your heart, all the troubles that you have will start to be lightened. All of them. Because God's presence comes in and he can fix what a whole lot of psychiatrists, psychologists and even doctors can't fix at times. As you know, I'm not saying don't go to those people. I hate that we have to qualify that. But isn't it great when God comes into your life, and I know there's people here that that's happened, where it's been, bang, gone. Or it's been a lifestyle of getting to that place of worship and praise. And God's presence comes in their life and begins to move. 